You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number eight, where we talk with Chris Auk on mule deer hunting in both Montana and Wyoming. What is up? What is up? How's everyone doing? Hope you're having a great day. It's almost the weekend. It's Thursday. So you're happy. hope you have some great plans upcoming. It's now the middle of January or, you know, second, third week here when this podcast is going on. And I can't help but think back on the past season of 2017. For me, it was certainly a roller coaster and it was the season that could have been, but it wasn't. <laughs> I had four tags across three different states and I didn't fill a single one of them. <laughs> that's how that's how my 2017 went. Uh, let's see, that started out in Colorado with archery elk. Uh, missed a good bull there with my bow. That was tough. Then I went to Kansas, missed a 150 on the ground, spot and stock. Then I went to Iowa, shot a uh, 9.140 class, not huge, but really good for public land. Could not find him. After a couple of days of tracking, wasn't able to recover him. So that was a bummer. And I went out to my Colorado, Eastern Colorado property one time and didn't really even hunt it. I it's It's been a drought out there and the, the cover has really went downhill. So it's been, it's, it was a tough season. It was, I learned a lot. I had a lot of great encounters. It wasn't because I didn't have opportunities just because uh, the cards didn't fall my way. And I'm not going to sit here and, and make some sob story and make all these excuses. I really don't have any. It's just what happened. That's reality. But as I think back on that, I think forward to 2018 and, and what's ahead, starting to think about some upcoming hunts possibly hunting uh, mule deer, maybe an antelope hunt, kind of mixing things up as as far as what I've been doing the last couple years of, of whitetail and elk. So that's cool. So I'm trying to start to get the wheels turning on all of that. And I'm really not one for resolutions. I don't I don't think just because it's the, the new year, all of a sudden it's new year, new me. Uh, I'll, when I, when I, think of that phrase or that saying I, I think of that meme I don't know if you've ever seen that meme it's like a guy rolling his eyes I think it's some actor and uh it's like new year new me and he's like rolling his eyes with his mouth open it's pretty funny but anyways I I do think it is cool to kind of not a, set some goals and kind of kind of whether they're big or small or whatever I think it's good to do that I, I think one of my things outside of hunting it's just really, I mean, I live in Colorado. I get to look at all these beautiful mountains around me, and it's just an outdoorsman's paradise. But with this blog and website and working a full-time job and other commitments that you have, I kind of struggle sometimes between, all right, do I stay home on the weekends and kind of get some work done and, and do things around the house and whatnot, or do I go out and actually go camping or fishing or do other cool things. And the last couple, the couple years, or at least this last year, I haven't been able to, or not that I haven't, but I feel like I kind of let that get in the way. So one of my things for this year is just to kind of go out and experience these things, go out and do it, um, and live a little bit more, I guess that makes sense. So (laughs) I'm going to get out and explore, do some more scouting, do some more camping, travel uh so we'll see we'll see what happens but that's that's definitely something i'm going to focus on for the coming year enough of that we've i've bored you enough but today on the show we have chris alk i know chris through quiet cat 
we've worked together. Um, the company he works for, they sell some of our bikes, but we've just always stayed in contact. And he is one of those guys that's just an absolute killer. There's a lot of guys that go out and hunt like me. And then there's other guys that kill stuff. He's one of those, he's just straight up killer. He, um, it, one of his passions is mule deer hunting. And he does that every year in both Wyoming and Montana. So we'll talk about both of those and the different dynamics of that and how he approaches certain hunts and what he looks for when, when he's out there and how he, uh, scouts and just the whole nine yards. He's a, he's a really cool guy. He, we also talk about a, a video. I'll mention it in the, uh, episode, but it's one where he actually goes out and, it's it's on video. He goes up and grabs a mule deer by the antlers. He snuck up on it, didn't shoot it. He just wanted to go up and, and see how close he could get. Well, he got close and and grabbed this deer's antlers, and it's all on video. So we talk about that. That's 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 really interesting, and it's just a really fun episode. I learned a lot because I haven't mule deer hunted before, so I'm looking forward to putting some of the stuff that I learned from Chris to use on my own hunts this potentially this coming year so without further ado let's welcome chris Alk. all right on the line with us now is chris Alk. how you doing today chris not too bad how about you adam i'm doing well doing well can't complain so um so how are things man you're i know you're on some travel right now you're down in texas yeah down at uh Dallas Safari Club convention starting tomorrow morning. Nice, nice. So, yeah, just tried to get out of the cold weather up at home, but it's about as cold down here. <laughs> yeah, I know that's uh, it's pretty crazy. You see parts of the country right now getting covered with snow that normally don't. You know, places like Georgia, Virginia, getting dumped with snow and and extremely cold temperatures. So it sounds like you can't even escape it even in Texas. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Definitely uh, some weird weather conditions this year. For sure, for sure. So um, we'll get into it a little bit, but are you guys exhibiting down there, or are you walking the show, or what are you what are you doing at the Dallas Safari Club? Ah, uh, basically this one just walking the show. Uh, you know, meeting up with outfitters that I've worked with in the past, uh, looking for new outfitters for clients and stuff like that. Um, then just catching up on some TV relationships and you know whatever we can in the two days that I'm down here. Nice. Nice. So, so while we're talking about that, what, if you can kind of explain to the listeners kind of what you do, uh, for a day job, I know you work in the outdoor industry, doing some outfitting, uh, kind of explain that and, and, uh, just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I work for true Magnum. Um, we, and we have a lot of kind of different things in the company, but, uh, the main job I guess for me would be hunt consulting. So I've got, you know, clients and outfitters all around the world that I kind of help pair up. Um, clients earn a certain per- percentage back in what they spend. Um, kind of like loyalty points you'd get at Cabela's, same type of deal. Um, you know, that a little bit of video editing. Uh, we have a couple TV shows, one on the Outdoor Channel, one on Sportsman's Channel, True Magnum TV, Moment of Impact. So, you know, filling in a little bit of the hunting and client filming you know, building relationships, I guess, all the way around. Got it. Got it. But definitely a, it's an interesting job. It's, it's a ton of fun and pretty, pretty dang lucky. <laughs> I bet. But, um, it's, it's also gotta be a lot of work too. I, I mean, um, you got just to produce a TV show or I know, I know you're, you're quite a big part in that. Um, you know, I, I imagine you gotta be on the road quite a bit. Yeah, um, not as much as we used to, I guess you could say. Um, spreading the the payload out, I guess, or the workload out a couple across a couple different guys helps. Um, you know, so I only really have to be gone three to four hunts a year now. And, you know, with a baby on the way, that's 
going to be a lifesaver here in a couple months. <laughs> I can I can imagine that's uh, it's one of those things where you your time is probably more limited than ever once once you have the first newborn. So I I would imagine you're kind of kind of doing what you can now, and it's going to be a little bit tighter schedule going forward. Yeah, it's going to be a little rough. My first <laughs> trip is actually a. Uh, first week of April heading back to New Zealand. I'm taking a group of clients with one of our longtime outfitters over there. And, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. I don't really know what to expect. You know, how I'm going to feel leaving the family for the first time after having a new newborn, but you know, it's, it's something I'm going to have to either learn or I guess find a new line of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I totally get it. I'll uh, I'll probably be in that boat someday, but I'm I'm 28 and I'm single, so I don't have to worry about that just yet. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm I'm 31, and you know it just happened for the first time. So we just got married uh, early this summer, and not long after, found out we were going to have our first one. So you know, time flies. Once that starts, it just <laughs> seems like you're blinking. Everything's just going by. I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, that's really cool. Uh, congrats again on that. And uh, yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah, I hope everything is is great going forward, and I'm sure it will be. Um, well, cool. Well, so it it sounds like you know we've we've talked um, quite a bit. We know each other through the outdoor industry and through Quiet Cat. Um, yeah. But it, it, I mean, it seems like you guys really traveled. I mean, do you do quite a bit like international travel where you're taking clients on different hunts and going different places? What are some of the places you've you've hunted, and where have you been to? Um, you know, been up to Canada. I started, you know, filming in the outdoor industry probably eight years ago. And one of the first ones I did was a Yukon moose. And then from there flew directly down to BC and did a stone sheep. So that's kind of where I started it. I guess, you know, most guys would probably start with whitetail mule deer, something a little easier in the Western States. And I ended up jumping right up and doing something like that. <laughs> that's wild. Um, you know, and, and since then, um, New Zealand last year, first time going there, incredible, you know, going back again this year. Uh, been up to Newfoundland a couple times, and then a little bit of Alberta. Um, but, you know, my still, you know, hunting Montana, Wyoming, Idaho areas. Yeah, that's home. You know, it's always the fun places to hunt. Yeah, for sure. And I know I know you currently live in Montana. Have you? Have you always lived there? Did you grow up in Montana? I was actually born in Wyoming. Um, a lot of people don't know that, and I kind of try to hide it sometimes. <laughs> Why is <laughs> that? Know? But, oh, it's just, you know, different lifestyles growing up. Um, and, I mean, I moved when I was two years old, so it's not like I, I really knew a whole lot of the Wyoming lifestyle. But I actually go, My half of my family still lives down in Gillette. And we go down to a family ranch uh, just south of there. Um, my dad's known the owner there for longer than I've been alive. And then, you know, me and his sons have become, you know, pretty good friends. And so we go back there. My dad and I have been going together for 17 years now. And wow. it's just every year is uh, some, some a little new, some a little different. But always a good time yeah and are you are you guys chasing elk and mule deer down there or antelope what, what what's that typically entail uh you know up in it always was antelope and mule deer um and i'm not getting burnt out on the antelope it's just you can only you know hunt and harvest so many 75 to 77 inch goats before it just gets repetitive and you want to do something new uh, the mule deer though, I will, I'll, you know, I'll go back for that every year. And then, uh, the elk have kind of moved in that area, which is a real weird area for you to actually think about having elk, you know, it's like 15 something plus miles to one mountain range and like 20 or 30 to the other mountain range going the opposite direction. And then these guys just have some pockets of timber that elk just decided to, I guess, migrating through decided to just stay. So, you know, we don't get any of the elk tags, but the landowners do every year. So it's always fun to go up with them and, you know, try to get a good bull, beat the bull from last year or something like that. 
Nice, nice. Uh, that that all sounds cool, man. It sounds like you got a lot to to go after down there, and even if you're not hunting, it seems like it's always going to be a a great experience. That's that's really cool. Oh yeah, it's always looking for sheds, chasing down rattlesnakes, prairie dog towns. You know, it's unlimited things to do out there. It seems like <laughs> for sure, for sure. So. So in Montana, I know we were kind of texting a little bit uh, over the last couple of weeks. I know you have been chasing, uh, or at least we're intending on going on some mountain lion hunts. Have Have you been able to get out for that? And what's what's going on around uh, your neck of the woods in Montana right now? Yeah, so we got our cat season going. Um, I ended up going out on it would have been Monday morning which was miserable, you know, stay up till after midnight, then get up at three o'clock and jump on a snowmobile and, you know, run the mountains looking for cat tracks. Um, cold as hell. And, but, you know, we found, you know, one, one set of lion tracks, a couple sets of bobcat tracks, but the wolves had came through too. And, you know, there were six or seven wolves that had came through and it seemed to uh, push a lot of the cats out of that area. Or I don't, I don't know. I guess I don't really know how that relationship's working between cats and wolves, but wolves came through and all of a sudden there's a, you know, a big lack of cat tracks in that area. So we're going to wait and probably give it another week and head back up there. Hope to get some fresh snow and go at it again. I know James is going to go out, I think next week for true Magnum TV and film a lion hunt. So we'll, we'll see how he does first and then I'll, I'll probably go out after that. (laughs) Yeah, let him let him be the guinea pig and uh, see if you guys can turn something up. That's really cool. I I had no idea. Like, so Montana is just pretty wild to me because I mean we have mountain lion here in Colorado where I'm at, but you know as far as wolves and you guys also have grizzly bears up there. It's it's a it's a predator paradise, and I don't know if I like that or 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 what because sometimes I get a little bit. I I think I would be on edge a little bit more. Um, in that neck of the woods as compared to Colorado where we just got, you know, basically black bears and the occasional mountain lion. Yeah, it's, it's typically not too bad. Um, you know, where, where we're at down in the Bitter Valley, we don't have to worry about grizzly bears. Um, at least not yet. Um, the lions, the wolves, they tend to leave you alone. Um, they, they screw up elk hunts horrible. The wolves do. And it seems like, you know, every time I went out this year, you get elk bugling and then wolves start howling and everything just goes silent after that. It kind of ruins the whole day. Uh, But the cat hunting, I I think we have more cats now than we've ever had in that area. Really? That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, high numbers of mule deer and then cat population skyrocketing. And we could use a few more cats tags i guess you could say the quota is a little low for the number of cats that we actually have got it got it well maybe i'll have to come up there and join you for a hunt eventually i think that'd be really cool to to go after them and and uh do that type of hunt it's just something oh, it's completely different yeah yeah i'm sure it is yeah yeah it's definitely and it's you know it's, it's fairly relaxing huh? it's not you know, like elk hunting, mule deer hunting, when you're out there hiking the hills 20, 30 miles at a time, it's, you know, a lot of these guys have these built snow crawlers or um, even a snowmobile, and you're just out running around looking for tracks, and when you find a fresh one, you know, you get the dogs on it and everything, and it's pretty incredible watching the dogs work, and, you know, when they get going in and out of, sometimes you get in and out of snow, and they can just work themselves through until they find the cat and tree it. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cool experience. Nice. Nice. Well, if we, uh, if we dedicate a podcast episode to it, which I'm sure we will at some point, um, that might be a a topic of choice just on predator hunting and mountain lion hunting altogether. That'd be, that'd be really neat if you're up for it. But, um, I know we were, I know we were talking. Come up and experience it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. I would love to. I'm gonna have to take you up on that, Chris. Don't, uh, don't tell me. (laughs) well cool well uh i know we were talking a little bit earlier on um you know over the last couple weeks we've been talking and you know you've been showing me pictures of this past season but 
I know where your your true passion, kind of what you were iterating to earlier, are uh, mule deer and and hunting mule deer. So I I think I really wanted to kind of dive into that with you today, and just kind of because I have yet to hunt mule deer myself since I've lived out here in Colorado, but it's something that's on the books hopefully for 2018. Um, so is that is that really your favorite kind of hunt and species to go after or mule deer? I would say yes. I just, I don't know, there's something about mule deer. I love elk hunting, I love the bugling and stuff like that, but mule deer have just always, I guess, had a special spot to me. Um, and I don't know if it's, you know, hunting with my dad for so long, that was kind of the family trip every year would be going to Wyoming mule deer hunting. And then, you know, I've lived in Montana and up until I think three years ago, I had actually never even hunted or shot a mule deer in Montana. And, you know, just, I think it's mainly because it's such a limited draw area where we live that you kind of get discouraged when you put in for 15 years and don't get a tag. And so we just go to Wyoming every year and have a blast and you don't shoot the biggest deer, you know, 150 to 175, but the experience is what really keeps us going back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and what, what typically are you looking at as far as terrain? Are you high country tree line hunting? Are you kind of more lowlands grass or what describe kind of like maybe what you typically hunt in and what's your favorite? Yeah. So down in Wyoming, it's a basically just sagebrush. Um, it does have some little bit deeper ravines and a little bit of cut banks and stuff like that. Um, but the Wyoming stuff, sagebrush, open country, a lot of visibility, uh, a lot of glassing involved. And then in Montana here, it's, and neither one is a high elevation hunt. Um, you know, the one in Montana, I probably start out about 3,500 feet and get up to around 7,000 feet. Uh, and that one's, that one's a lot more difficult, thick timber, not a whole lot of openings. You know, you, you typically have about 15 to 20 seconds when you see a buck to decide if he's worth taking or not. And if you let it go too long, you, you never see him again. So definitely a, the terrain between the two is it's difficult. You know, you see a buck in Wyoming and you can glass him for five days. You see one here in Montana in this country and you got 20 seconds and you'll never see him again. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. It's kind of like where I elk hunt in Colorado. It's very thick timber, uh, a few meadows and, and little open drainages that you can glass into, but like where I hunt, you know, let's say whitetails out in Eastern Colorado and Kansas, it's one of those things where you can see forever and you can do a lot of glassing. So it sounds kind of a similar dynamic and from that standpoint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. So what, what do you typically, are you, I mean, I know you archery hunt, um, do you prefer archery over rifle or do you prefer one or the other? What, what's that typically look like? If, if I get to choose, it's archery any day. Um, I grew up, uh, first two years I hunted 12, 12 to 14, uh, shot my first two white tails with a shotgun. And then I had about two more years with a compound and then up until, about six years ago, I was traditional archery only. And just one day, I was out elk hunting here in, in western Montana and been hunting, you know, it's probably three weeks into the season. Bulls were bugling good. And I had a 370 class bull come by at 20 yards and I just panicked and missed. And oh, the no. next day I went out and bought my first compound with sights and a release and all that stuff. Cause I swore it was never going to happen again. Oh, I can imagine. And I've never, and I hadn't had an opportunity, um, even at a decent bowl again until this year. So that's, yeah, that's, but, that's gotta yeah, be tough that, to that was the one turning point, but any day I'd, I'd choose archery over rifle hunting. It's way more difficult, but when you have to get that much closer to the game, I, I, to me, that's, that's the hunting part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's definitely a, a whole nother element for sure. And, uh, those up close encounters 
especially with mule deer or big game at all, it's, it's something that you just have to experience. And if you've never archery hunted before, it's, it's something that you should consider because it's, it's a whole nother world and you'll get hooked on it quick. <laughs> oh, it's a rush. The, the adrenaline rush is, it's going to hook you. So as far as like archery hunting, are you, is that something that's a, a late August hunt or is that something you're doing in September chasing them in velvet or, um, is it later season or what's, what's that typically look like for you? The mule deer hunt down there in Wyoming, it's, it's typically, we have to plan it around work and then I have to, you know, plan it around what other hunts I have going. Um, so this year I ended up going the first week of September some of the bucks were still in velvet and, um, the antelope weren't quite rutting yet. Uh, I, I like to go the second, third week of September. They're still bachelored up and temperatures are still fairly warm. So, you know, glassing them in shady spots under rocks and stuff like that's a little bit easier. Um, and then my, you know, around here, it's, it's a crapshoot, you know, September, you could get lucky and bump into one, but it's typically the last week of the season where I hunt is the, it's going to be the second Saturday and Sunday in November. And it's the closest to the right you're going to get. And that's, that's your best opportunity up here. Yeah. And are, and are you primarily hunting public land or are you doing a mix of both private and public? I do a mix. Um, the Wyoming stuff, like I said, it's my, my friends down there, they have around 50,000 acres. Whoa. So yeah, huge chunk of land and it's, it's, you know, a blast to go down there, um, down or up here in Montana for the mule deer and the elk and stuff like that. I typically go on public. Occasionally I'll, I'll get permission if the elk are down low and you know, that's what happened to me this year is I had permission on property and the elk happened to be down low on the last day of our archery season. Um, you know, but either way, even, you know, people sometimes I don't know, I discredit, um, private land hunting, but some of the private land hunts that I've done for elk are actually more difficult than the public land. You know, when you've got a 10 acre chunk here, a 20 acre chunk there, and you know, on the next 10 acres, there's two other guys hunting and it's just, it's way more difficult than a lot of people, you know, give it credit for. Oh yeah. 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 I'd, I haven't hunted elk or um, you know, mule deer, like I said, I haven't hunted private, private land out here, but, um, where I grew up in Michigan, you know, I, I feel like private land hunting there because there's so many hunters and there's so much, uh, so many small tracts of land all, you know, just next to each other that comparatively to, let's say like Kansas, where I do a lot of my hunting now for whitetail, it's, mm-hmm. it's completely different. Um, public land tends to be much better in Kansas than private land in Michigan. So it could be, you know, some of that same, same scenarios that you're experiencing there. You just get a lot of pressure and especially if you don't have the weather, typically that private land's down lower. Um, so there's a lot of factors there too. Yeah. It's, it's really tough to, you know, like I said, you always get guys that the second they hear that you shot a bull or a buck on private land, it, you know, it's not as good as what, you know, something you would have shot on public, but, until you really know the whole story or you've been in that type of situation. It's, uh, it's just, it's a different type of hunting. You know, you, you actually have property lines that you can't leave. So you, you have a 10 acre chunk where you have to make it happen or, you know, it's off to the next guy to do his job. Yeah. True. True. So I, I would imagine the strategy kind of changes as far as how much pressure you're putting on and how, how much you're rolling the dice. Cause I know on public land where you got thousands and thousands and thousands of acres in front of you, you bump one or screw up a scenario. You're, you're on to the next, you're on to the next one and you can cover a yeah, couple miles over the next ridge. And you know, you're into the next herd of elk or you're after the next buck or yeah, it's just like you said, it's, it's just a different type of hunting. Yeah. And I've yeah. never, you know, I've never hunted actually any of the back East stuff and I've only been to Kansas once. So it's hard to really, I, I guess I'm not as big into the whitetail stuff as I used to be. Got so it. that makes it a little more, you know, the, the, everything's different. It's just, it's fun. It's, 
to be able to have so many different species, even out here, you know, from we can go whitetails from the first Saturday in September to January 15th. So you have a whole range of whitetail hunting, different types of seeds, and then you get the mule deer and the elk. And, you know, if you get lucky, you know, moose, sheep, goat, bison, we've got all that stuff. And it's, you can really learn to hunt a lot and it's all a different style of hunting. Yeah, for sure. I can, uh, I can definitely vouch for that. So, so walk us through like, so when you're coming up to, let's say summertime, are you going down to Wyoming or some of these places around Montana where you're, you know, potentially looking at hunting? Are you doing a lot of scouting? Are you running trail cameras? Um, are you doing Google Earth stuff and digital scouting, kind of find some new areas or just kind of walk us through what mm-hmm. your preseason uh, summer scouting and, and boots on the ground look like? Yeah, so, you know, like I said, with the Wyoming stuff, we've been going there for like 17 years now. So I, I typically know the local hangouts. Um, you know, so not a whole lot of scouting goes into that. Within two days of actually being there during season, I can cover enough ground with just the spotting scope to kind of figure out what's where. And then here in Montana, it's a, I I do a lot of wildlife photography. So I, I drive around, hike around looking for mule deer to photograph and stuff like that. But where I hunt is so difficult to access when it comes to the mule deer. Cause they're, you know, some of the mule deer are actually coming out of Idaho into Montana for that rut. And, it's, I'm not packing my camera gear back that far. <laughs> I'd, I I'd love to say I would, and but it's just, it really, I guess you just, you do it enough that you kind of have an idea of where they're going to be, you know, after even three to four years of doing it, you, they just have those spots that you know there's going to be deer there, you know there's does there, and eventually that buck is going to be there, and you just have to hope that you can catch them on that same day, year there, you know? Yep. Yep. So you mentioned the spot, at least in Montana, it's, it's very either tough terrain or really tough to access. Is that, is that why you're hunting there? A lot of it is. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the guys is just, if you can get that even a mile off the road, um, you're, you're into, you know, you probably knocked out 90% of the other hunters around here. So when you can get that three, four, five miles or even farther off the road, and then once you start climbing an elevation, that's going to take even more of them out. So typically, yeah, just, and you know, you mentioned the Google Earth thing, and I haven't done it a ton for hunting. I do it a little bit. Um, I actually use that more for shed hunting, you know, finding nice. those ridges in, in those areas where I've seen elk before and looking for that south-facing slope and, you know, just kind of, we actually print them out and, you know, just kind of put a dot on where we find each shed so we can try to, you know, track that path. And then over the, you know, couple of years, you kind of have an idea of where they're moving, where they're shedding every year. And, you know, hopefully they're back there the next year and make your job a little easier. <laughs> Certainly is. Yeah, that, that would be pretty cool. So what, uh, so as far as like when you're approaching this hunt, are you like what do you in compares to like all I really know is elk hunting. So yeah, as far as like how you approach, let's say where you're hunting at in Montana, cause that's probably a little bit more relatable to what, you know, most people may be listening. They're looking, maybe doing a public land DIY hunt. Um, walk us through kind of like what your strategy is. Let's say it's opening day. Um, what's what break break down kind of like what's going through your head? How are you accessing a certain area? Are you getting up high in the morning and um, doing that and kind of working through the dark timber? Kind of just walk us through what you would go through on day one. Day one would actually start the night before and try to get up above everybody else. That's starting on day one. You know you. You get off, say it starts on Saturday morning, if you can get off at noon on Friday, and then hike as fast and as far up above everybody else as you can get. Um, that's basically how my uh, my first day is going to start. Try to get up above everybody, and then they make the mistake. If they bump stuff, a lot of times it's going to go up. 
So it's, it's kind of a little bit of an advantage being above everybody else. And then, you know, you have less to go that next day. You can kind of move a little bit slower through that timber. Um, you know, and I, I like to hunt the edges of the burn a little bit. So a lot of times I'll pop from the darker timber out into the burn for a little while, then back in just kind of zigzag myself up until I get to a point where I'm just going to stay for, you know, three, four days, just throw a little tarp up and build a fire and just kind of sit and wait in glass. Got it. So you're trying to, as far as like heading in, you're heading in obviously the day before or wherever, um, Mm -hmm. you're trying to get to a top of a ridge or a certain point. Um, how close is that to where you're actually going to be, be hunting? Are you, um, where you're setting up camp, that's where you're glassing and doing some scouting from. But, um, where do you kind of go from there? You know, it, it kind of just depends on, you know, if the snow levels or, you know, if I, I'm seeing much for deer in that area this year, um, my, on my deer hunt, I must have saw more deer actually from camp than I did hiking through all the timber. And so, you know, the last day I was up there, I basically just sat there and glassed the edge of the burn and, you know, would watch deer after deer that way. Um, and, you know, I guess it's just being the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've I've had my elk camp set up this year and ended up being a bull screaming, like, you know, within 100 yards all night long. And you just can't plan for what they're going to actually do or where they're going to be. You have an idea. And, you, you know, you try to stay far enough away from it that it's not going to bug them at night, but you don't want to be so far away that you can't kind of hear what's going on or be right where you want to be at first light. Got it. Yeah, makes makes total sense. And when you're referring to that burn, are you referring to like a wildfire, wildfire area that, you know, maybe is a couple years old? Yeah, this burn's a little bit older. Um we basically had a new wildfire every year for the last, I think we're going on like 18 years now. Okay. So it's just, yeah, it's been a crazy wildfire mess around our place. I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know, do you use Onyx maps at all? I do. Yeah. I think Onyx has a feature on there where they show you uh, wildfire burn areas and it shows you, I believe, how, when, you know, when exactly that fire was there, how many yeah, years ago. Do I you, think it does say that. Yeah, yeah, that would be, so is that something that you would say you focus on, is, are some of those wildfire areas um, maybe five five to ten years old? Is that kind of what you're looking at? It That's basically where I'm hunting, yes. Um, it's just the visibility, you know, without that wildfire, it's it's really tough to see, you know. 50, 80, 100 yards at a time with max and the feed in some of those wildfires that are that old. You know, the trees are just getting up three, four feet high, so there's plenty of cover, there's plenty of grass. Um, and it depends on how hot that fire burned, too. Uh, some of the some of the areas just scorched everything, and 10 years ago, fire came through and there's still nothing growing. Really? Um, you know, and there was a fire that came through last year that it it pretty much just swept through the floor real fast, and so I'm, I'm expecting that to actually be really good this year, and that's going to be somewhere I'm going to focus on. Got it. And that that just that fire burned this last summer. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's just one of those that yeah we had enough wind pushing it through, and you know you can see it the way you you look at it, and all the trees aren't burnt, but everything down below is burnt, so you know it just kind of went through and burnt most of that grass and deadfall, hopefully. Kind of cleared some stuff up and make some room for some nice green. But yeah. I, I would think those are going to be good. I could be completely wrong I'm talking out my ass right now, but it sounds like <laughs> a hell of a good idea. I'm going to try. <laughs> no, it makes total sense. Like you said, um, you know, a lot of those dark timber, higher country areas – you can't see and and the beauty part with elk is you know you get them talking and and calling and at least you've got that with mule deer you have none of that and um so i can total totally makes sense you're using it as an advantage to be able to see further possibly get some eyes do some glassing 
but it's also just a good hangout where they're going to be spending a majority of the time. They have everything they need, uh, food, cover, and hopefully water nearby. So it makes total sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it's trial and error, I guess, is a good way to think about it. You know, I, I may never do the same thing twice or go up the same ridge try twice. Just sometimes you got to try something new. You get in a little bit of a slump. You got to figure out a way out of it somehow. So, and what's it going to hurt, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, within those burn areas, are you are you kind of scouting? Will you actually get into those areas? Let's say you go glass you don't see anything in that area, will you actually walk down into that and maybe try to find some trail networks or maybe a water source? What what does that typically look like? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you can find a maybe a, a spring or something like that that has a little more activity around it. Um, and a lot of the burn area up there is you can actually track really well. You know, luck, if you're lucky, it rains a little bit and just kind of a clean slate for tracks, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I have, I have no issue walking through the burn, looking at tracks, kind of following them, see where they're going, see where they're coming from. Hopefully kind of figure out some kind of pattern when you can figure out an area where, you know, you see a couple, four five, six sets of tracks heading toward one pocket of timber. It, it gives you somewhere to start, you know, and some guys might want to just sit there and glass that timber. Some guys are going to want to, you know, push through it and see what's in there. And I, I don't know. I can't really say which way is better. I'm more of the sit glass and weight guy. Um, but you, you never, it's one of those things you never know. <laughs> Mule deer are just stuff. Someday they'll do one thing one day and then the next day, you know, it's like complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Now what, talk about like morning versus evening or do you prefer one over the other or does it depend on time of year or weather conditions at that point in time? I guess I've never really had a morning or evening that really is the best, I guess you could say. I like the morning just knowing that, you know, every second it's getting a little bit lighter and you're having, you know, one more opportunity. And I feel like every evening I'm always racing against the clock. Uh, but success wise, I, I really haven't had enough of a difference to say. Um, weather conditions, now that's different. Um, more snow, the better, typically. You know, yeah. get those deer pushed down a little lower, make them a little more accessible. Visibility is a lot better at that point. You know, if you've had enough snow for a week, you, you can definitely tell where those deer have been hanging out. And if it's close enough to the rut, basically look for all the tracks where the does are, and that buck's eventually going to show up. Yeah, yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. So like, so with elk hunting, I know at least for archery season myself, I'm a lot of times I'm focusing on that kind of North facing dark timber. It's a little bit cooler, especially in those, that early, you know, last week, August, early September. Do you find Mm -hmm. any correlation between elk and mule deer in regards to maybe what side of the mountain or what they prefer as far as North or South facing or different ridge, uh, basin kind of formations. What, what, what describe that to us? You know, where I hunt, not really. Um, it's kind of weird that I actually, when I'm elk hunting in the same area where I mule deer hunt in September, you very rarely see a mule deer. You might see a doe or two, but maybe a spike or a forkhorn, but you never see a mature buck. At least I haven't yet. So, and that's where I think a lot of those deer are farther back in the canyon. Um, and, you know, maybe all the way back into Idaho even. I know once it snows, there's a couple of places you can just see beat down trails in the snow coming out of Idaho and into Montana. And so I think in that September, I just, I think they're farther back than where I've been elk hunting. Got it. Yeah, I, I've experienced the same thing. I really just don't. I mean, my elk experience is pretty limited in the scheme of things, but I haven't seen, um, I've seen some does and maybe some small bucks, but I've never seen a big you mm-hmm. know, mature mule deer in those areas where I'm elk hunting. And I'm, I'm 
I guess I'm just not very sure why, uh, but I should probably figure that out if I'm going to uh, mule deer hunt well, there. <laughs> then come to rut, it's, it could be completely different. True. You know, there's yeah. deer that, you know, just going around photographing in, you know, the area where there's only 35 tags and, you know, we have 180 to 200 inch deer. Wow. Um, I'll photograph a deer in one spot one day and two days later, I'll photograph him, you know, 15 miles away. It's, they wow. just get on a path, they're in that rut and they're gone. Yeah. That's, so, that's yeah, really it's, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, it's crazy to think how, how much those deer actually travel when they get to that rut stage. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, your archery season, so that's where it kind of maybe differs between archery and rifle. Archery is going to be, you know, earlier in the year, but rifle, mm-hmm. that's when you're getting into to more of that, um, you know, rutting behavior and, um, you know, maybe into November, uh, that time period. So I, I'm sure that would make a pretty big difference, like you said. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, archery hunting you know, in some of the areas, that's, that's why I like going to Wyoming in September. You've got the visibility, you've got them, you know, all bachelored up. You have an idea where they're bedding. And typically when they bed down, they're going to be there for a pretty good chunk of the day. You know, they might get up and move a couple hundred yards to a, a new location once that sun hits them, but you can basically know where they're going to be, how they're going to react. And, you know, playing a little bit better, I guess you could say going that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Wyoming where we hunt's the same as Eastern Montana. Um, Eastern Montana, you know, has got a ton of public land, ton of opportunity for, you know, archery hunting, mule deer, um, some whitetails, antelope, elk, a little bit of everything out there. So, you know, if someone was asking me, they want to come out on their first mule deer hunt, you know, archery, Montana, you know, I'd probably say go to Eastern Montana. You, you may not have the best chance at, you know, like a 170 to 190 class deer, but you're going to see a lot of deer. You're going to have a lot of opportunities and you're going to, you know, learn a lot and grow in, you know, your hunting capabilities doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, the it's a completely different terrain, like you said, and um, I'd imagine that's got to be a really, really fun hunt. Do you know off the top of your head how much a non-resident mule deer tag is and, and whether there's any over-the-counter? Or is it all draw? How does that work? It's all draw. Um, I think it's been around right around 100% draw for the deer-only combinations. Um, they do an elk and deer combo, which the elk-deer combo I think is right around $1,000 now. And I think the deer-only is right around 600 Okay. So it's, you know, the surrounding states are all a little bit cheaper. You know, I think Wyoming's still under 400 for a deer tag. Um, I actually haven't bought one in Idaho in a while, but I think it's, I think it's still right around 300 there. Really? Okay. Got it. And, um, so you think the Eastern part of the state is, is pretty, it's, it's, there's good deer numbers, there's good habitat, lots of public land. It's not going to be that upper echelon, you know, 190s, 200s, but you could get a very respectable 150, 160 type of, type of deer. Yeah, and you're going to have opportunity. Yeah, first-time hunter coming out to western Montana doing an archery hunt for a mule deer. If it's not, if you're doing the public land in the area that has unlimited tags, they're going to get discouraged really fast. Um, it's not an easy hunt. There's not a lot of deer. Um, then, you know, you go out Eastern Montana and you're going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And they may not be the biggest deer, but it's, it's not always about the score. It's about the experience and the fun of it. And you get two, three guys go out there, set up a little camp. It's, it's a blast. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I, I can't, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm along the same lines. Like originally I'm from Michigan. And when I first started hunting States like Western Kansas for whitetail, um, I didn't even know what hunting was on the ground or, uh, had never attempted a spot and stock. And, um, I think if I didn't have that experience, that couple of years of experience before I started hunt hunting elk in Colorado, 
I would probably be lost and I really wouldn't know how to move on the ground or how to approach a stock or have the confidence, I guess. So it sounds like uh, what you're describing in Eastern Montana, that could be a very, very good first hunt for somebody looking to go out west for the first time, kind of get their feet wet, get used to hunting on the ground, and then maybe bump it up into maybe that high country mule deer or elk hunt. That'd be a, a good starting Definitely. Point. Yeah. Yeah, just the stalking, you know, the the wind direction, you know, even your shadow can make a big difference, you know, when you're trying to get that real close range. Um, but, you know, wind's a big factor, I guess. And what eastern Montana has always got a little bit of a wind, and it's a fairly steady wind, so you have that advantage where when you're up in the timber and stuff like that, a lot of time it's swirling and, you know, just one more thing to go wrong. Yeah. It makes total sense. So I was checking out the True Magnum website the other day, and I saw I saw a video on there. Is that you? Um, where you actually sneak up on that buck and grab its antlers? That is. Holy cow! Yeah, that that was that place in Wyoming that I was telling you about earlier. Um, that actually happened. I think it was two years ago, and you know, growing up hunting down there with a longbow, you always try to get as close as possible and i've been close enough i could probably touch some with an arrow and i've always said you know one day i'm gonna do this i'm gonna you know just grab an antler or just even you know just tap it with an arrow or something and it just happened to be the perfect spot the wind was just right and i think i don't know deer if he was just a little bit deaf or what (laughs) but you know, it took me probably, you know, 20, 30 minutes to get probably 40 yards. Just going real slow. Every time the wind had died down, i just stop and wait for it to pick back up again. And then get right there at the end and just crawl up. And, you know, the first time I moved this, you can see where I moved his head a little bit. Yeah. And he didn't really do anything. You know, and I'm <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, what's going through this deer's mind, you know what else is going to be moving your head out here? <laughs> but he, he definitely figured it out the second time I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For people that are listening, go to truemagnum.com and click on their video section. And it's the very first video and you will see Chris literally crawling on his hands and knees. It's not a very long video. It's only about a minute long, but he actually crawls up to this buck. It's in velvet. It's bedded kind of, right on the side of this little coulee. Uh, he comes right up over the top and actually grabs it by the antlers. And like you said, the first time, he doesn't really know what's going on and he doesn't really react. And then you really <laughs> kind of hit him a second, not like hit him, but you know, you grab him a second time, kind of shake him around. He kind of jumps up and is like, what's going on? It, it's amazing. I've never seen anything like that. So go check that out. That was, I say that's probably one of the most exciting things I've ever done there. And you know, we've talked about trying to do it again, but it's just, it, it, it's not something you can replicate easy. You know, we've tried it and everything just has to be perfect. And that's where I'm saying, you know, out Eastern Montana, you know, you can, you can find deer bed in locations like that, where you have the opportunity to sneak up where you're out of their eyesight, the wind is right. And, you know, with just enough wind, they can't hear you coming. So you get some, you know, guys that haven't done that before out there and they get 15 yards and have something like that happen. That's, it's a rush. Yeah. So if you, you know, keep doing that and when you have opportunity after opportunity, you figure out what you did wrong last time or what you could have done better and just keep working towards that. And, you know, eventually something crazy happens, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it all aligns, but like you said there, you're, you're going to get the opportunities and for a beginner, that's what you need. Um, and that's, that's going to build your confidence and, and get that experience up in relatively quick fashion as compared to that high country hunt where you, you know, you might oh, spend yeah. a couple of days and, uh, might have one, one opportunity, you know? Yeah. And it's fun. And you know, that's what it's about too. Going out there. It's, it's just fun to have those opportunities and memories and stuff like that. For sure. For sure. Now, um, that mule deer picture that you sent me this year uh or you know a couple weeks ago was that from this year's hunt or was that the year before 
Which mule deer picture was it? I don't know. I thought it was a rifle when you were rifle hunting. Was it the rifle kill? Yep. So that would have been two, three years ago in Montana. That was actually the first mule deer I ever killed in Montana. And that, that's the first animal I ever killed with a rifle. Got it. Got it. Nice. I was actually, I was with my, um, well, now father-in-law. Uh, we were hunting. I had my bow. And, yeah, I was just hoping that I'd get an opportunity at like a little 150-inch, you know, dark antler buck with my bow. And then I saw that thing with some does, and he looked at me. He's like, you want the rifle? And I just said, hell, yes, I want the <laughs> rifle. And, you know, I never really rifle hunted much, and it was a two-stage safety. So the first shot at like 170 yards, I, I didn't flip the safety all the way forward. So I just had a little tiny opening, and you know, went to pull the trigger and nothing happened. He just kept walking through. And, you know, at this time, my father-in-law was going, well, I wasn't, he wasn't my father-in-law yet. He's thinking, you know, what the hell did I get myself into taking this guy? And, <laughs> you know, then, so I'm thinking, you know, up here, you're never going to see the same deer twice. It's too thick. And sure shit, like 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, we see him again at a hundred yards and in the thick brush, couldn't get a shot. And they take off running up the ridge again. And, you know, so now I'm for sure like, okay, I screwed it up twice. And, you know, another 30 minutes, 45 minutes later, we see a bunch of does and no bucks at all. So we just keep kind of going up the ridge. And I look back and right where we were, he ends up pushing four does out of the timber. And he's about 150 yards. And I just threw my pack down threw the rifle on the pack and I made sure the safety was all the way forward and smoked in that time. But I mean, to get lucky three times at the same deers, I don't know. I just, it was just meant to be, I guess. <laughs> Is that your biggest Normally buck in Montana? Kind of... Yeah. Yep. He looks, uh, I don't even want to take a guess at a score cause it's kind of tough to, to do that. But I would say he's, it's hard. One eighties. 190s yeah he's he's low 180s okay um i think he's right around 28 inches wide just nice forks i mean yeah he's got everything i was just it was everything i wanted to you know get in a mule deer just dark antlered good mass perfect forks all the way around nice was that i was i was pretty fortunate yeah yeah was that kind of dark timber stuff or was that kind of your yeah your honey hole uh burn areas no, that was that was some dark timber stuff there. Really? Really? Um, you know, and that, it wasn't really the, he wasn't really in an area we were going to. He ended up being a lot lower in elevation than I thought we were going to see a deer like that. Um, but yeah, that one just, I mean, it was just shit luck, I guess, on that one. I think to <laughs> see that deer and at that elevation, um, you know, on public ground where there, there were quite a few hunters out. Um, yeah, I think just meant to be. And then, so in our area of the state, you can get a, an extra buck tag for the river bottom, uh, for a whitetail. And two days later, so I shot my biggest mule deer on Saturday night or Saturday morning. And then Monday night, I shot my biggest whitetail ever which, you know, isn't a big whitetail for a lot of guys. Like, you get to hunt Kansas, you'd let him go. But and he was right around 137, 138. But just, like, topped off that perfect season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, that's awesome, man. It sounds like uh, sounds like you've had a good streak the last couple of years and had some great hunts, and we could talk about this all day. Um, but – you know, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I really appreciate you being, being on here, Chris. And, and thanks again for some insights and, um, you know, sharing, yeah. sharing with, uh, sharing with everybody kind of your stories and strategy. And like I said, I can't, uh, I can't say this enough. If, if you guys are listening, go to truemagnum.com, click on the videos and watch that video, Chris, cause it will, it will blow your mind. It's really cool. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Chris. And, uh, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. And just wrapped up another episode. Thanks again to Chris for coming on the show. 
I had a blast talking with them and, and really did learn a lot. Like I said, throughout the show, I've never hunted mule deer before. So I, I really am looking forward to applying some of these things to my own hunts and, and seeing where, where it goes. So hats off to Chris. Thanks again. And, and he, he did bring up a number of points, especially what I liked him talking about in Eastern Montana. Sounds like it's some really good hunting there. It's not going to be like your true trophy world-class animals, but if it's your first hunt and you're just looking to get your feet wet with hunting mule deer, it sounds like it's some really cool terrain. It's not like your open flat prairie, but it's not the high mountain above treeline hunt. So it could be pretty cool. And it sounds like it's a lot of fun, cool country, lots of opportunities. You're going to be able to practice spot and stalk and, and like I said, just get your feet wet and experience it for the first time. So as we kind of move into 2018, start thinking about some of that stuff. I know I'm starting to plan my hunts and what I want to do, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. So I think this is a, a very fitting episode for, for the time of year. All right, that is it. I appreciate all the support. I really do. I'm getting a lot of good feedback. So anyone who has reached out to me and messaged me, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing and and like what we're producing, make sure you go to sportsmansnation.com. Check it out. You can subscribe there. You can also subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And... We would love it. I would love it if you would leave a five-star review. Please, please do it. Just go do it. Five-star review. I would I would certainly like that. And make sure you are following Transition Wild on Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I would love that as well. Uh, make sure you're following Sportsman's Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. And also check out some of the other guys on there, the DIY Sportsman's Land, Land and Legacy. Really, really cool stuff that uh, that they're coming out with there. So, again, appreciate the support. I hope 2018 is off to a great start, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks again. Thanks again.